whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes of your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flames of darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, and also for me, that my that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is God's word. Thanks, Jimmy. You guys may be seated. Good morning. How's everybody doing? How's everybody doing? Uh, Mike, thanks for great worship. I'm going to actually quote one of the songs that you guys sang, the very last one we sang, so thank you. My name is Matthew Rojek, and along with my wife, Betty, we're congregation members here at MAC. Thrilled to be here, pleased to be here. Uh, grateful for our pastor who loves the Lord and preaches well. For those of you who are new, I'm sorry you weren't able to hear our pastor, uh, but I'm going to be preaching today. Uh, one of the things we like to do, again, for uh, new people, if you guys have a question, if I'm unclear about something, feel free to raise your hand and ask me. As long as it pertains to what we're talking about in the scriptures, I'd be more than happy to answer your question. Again, in my mind, things are always clear, uh, but I might, might not portray them as well. Uh, I'm grateful to be here, and I'm also fearful to be here. Uh, There's a lot of scripture, a lot of good stuff here, and I want to make sure that I accurately portray it to you guys. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come before you, we are grateful that we have confidence in you, that you have never failed us. Lord, even now, I would pray in Jesus' name, Lord God, that you would come enlighten our hearts, our minds, our very souls that we would hear your word, Father God, as you intended it to be. Lord, let us lay aside presuppositions for your word and for the Holy Spirit to make clear to us what you've intended for today's message. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys know Pastor John Piper and in relationship to these verses, he tells a story of Campus Crusade for Christ people down in Argentina during the World Cup. They were wanting to go out and share the gospel at the soccer stadiums. And they went out the first time and had absolutely no success. No one would engage, no one would take their reading material, no one wanted anything to do with them. So they went back, regrouped that night, 
sat before the Lord in prayer, and clearly the Lord said, you're in spiritual warfare, and you need to pray against that. So they prayed and fasted, sought the Lord, the next day went back out, and engaged in multiple conversations. People continually said, yes, let's talk. We're in spiritual warfare. And one of the things that I love about Mac is that we've made the choice to have hard conversations about difficult subjects. Today's topic, for the most part, the armor of God, most of you probably know very well. And like last week when Pastor was talking, and he used the word, I believe it was fight. And he said, in the context, Pastor was thinking one thing, but the person who had related the story to him meant something completely different. Today's verses, depending on your denomination, but uh, depending on your personal background and your history and your theology, it might look very different than some of the things we're going to talk about today. I don't feel that some of these scriptures get any play in the Reformed camp that most of us run in. And I think that that's for a couple of reasons. One of them is that although we understand the concept of not wrestling against flesh and blood, when the spiritual component comes in, I think we're a little scared. And I'm concerned, I even fear, that we're not going to totally pursue these scriptures because of the nature of them. When we talk about spiritual wickedness, cosmic powers, rulers, spiritual authorities, we're talking about demons. And that's just weird. And the images that those things can conjure up in our mind can take on a scary nature. The enemy's intent is to separate our souls from Jesus Christ, the only Savior. And he will do so in any manner, fashion to him. You know, this topic reminds me of speaking in tongues, of the gifts of healing, words of knowledge and wisdom, prophetic utterances that foretell the future. We stay away from that stuff. As Reformed people, we run from that stuff for a variety of reasons. Again, I think there's a couple of components that play here. We're sensory type people. We like to feel, we like to see, we like to grasp with our mind. We want something in a concrete box. And whenever we talk about spiritual authorities, wickedness in high places, how, how do you quantify? How do you qualify? How do you set that in something that we can grasp? I think it's very, very difficult. It's easier to just keep it at arm's length. And I think the other thing that enters into play is we probably all know people who have perverted God's word and pirated it for their own means. A lot of times in the Pentecostal world that ends up in emotionalism. And so we just hold it at arm's length. And I want to caution you, we can't do that. So instead of grappling with those issues and determining God's actual voice, we miss a puzzle piece that he's put together in his word that is theology that you and I need to pay attention to. 
We're going to see today a number of scriptures. You guys know them all, most likely, that are going to talk about spiritual wickedness, going to talk about rulers and authorities. We also know stories of missionaries. And you guys have seen, I'm sure, firsthand, darkness, spiritual wickedness, doing some scary things in our community. So Paul says at the beginning of these verses, he uses, what's the first word? Finally. Now Paul's gone through five chapters of exhortations, encouragements, challenges, proclamations, and he says, finally. And what is the finally of all those five? We are in spiritual warfare, and we've got to recognize that. Clearly, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. So just a couple quick scriptures. Genesis 3.1, Satan says to Eve, did God say? Haven't you and I heard that exact same voice saying the exact same thing? Is God's word true? In Daniel, Daniel's praying. His prayers are hindered, are unanswered. And after a period of time, an angelic being comes to him and says, hey man, heard your prayers right when you sent them, but I've been warring with the king of Persia. Finally, some more angels came, we conquered, and I'm here to give you your answer. Elisha, they're about to go to war, and his servant is in fear. So what does Elisha do? He prays, says, Lord, would you open up the eyes of your servant that he might see you? And he opens up his eyes, and around the top of the mountain are angelic beings, presumably with swords and chariots, to win the battle for the Lord. We've also seen Jesus casting out demons, disciples casting out demons, multiple other things in the scriptures. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of I'm sorry, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul's instruction is because the nature of our battles and our warfares and our limited abilities on our own to engage in this type of spiritual warfare without God's own intervention in our lives, changing not only our mindset, but giving us some pieces of equipment that we can engage in this warfare. So I ask you to, man, hear me. Who do we serve? What are his capabilities? Is anything too hard for God? Manna, quail, water from rocks. His mocking of all of Pharaoh's gods with all of the plagues that he sent. The God who we serve is unlimited in power. I mean, it's not even a question as to the outcome of eternity. It's a foregone conclusion. And that is the God that we serve. That is the God that Paul is encouraging us to be strong in. We have unlimited Father whose capabilities, he's the creator of the universe. John 14, 12 through John 14, 12 through 14. Jesus says, Man, truly, truly I say unto you, believe in me, 
and in the works that I do, you shall do, and greater works shall you do. Why? Because I go to the Father. It says, whatever you ask in my name, as long as the Father's going to be glorified in that, I'll do it. Ask anything in my name, and I will do it. As believers, we work in our own strengths. We've talked at the discipleship retreat about spiritual gifts, about personality strengths. Every one of us in here is part of the body of Christ, and we work in those strengths that even those things are a gift from God, right? But Paul's here talking about another type of strength, strength that is supernatural. You guys know I love missionaries. There's a gal named Gladys Aylward, early 1900s, Londoner, feels called to China, goes to China. She's been there a while. There's a knock at her door at 9, 10 o'clock at night. Opens the door, and uh, a messenger from the Mandarin, and if I understand, the Mandarin is kind of like the mayor of the town. So the mayor sends a messenger, says, hey, come, Mandarin wants to see you. He says, man, I'm not coming. It's 10 o'clock at night. I'm going to bed. You got to come. She goes. She walks in. Next to the Mandarin is the prison warden. Says, Mandarin, what can I do for you? He says, hey, there's a prison riot, and we want you to go stop it. And she says, the warden's right there. Why doesn't he stop it? And here's what the Mandarin said. You've been telling us now that you have eternal life and that you will never die. That's why we're sending you. She goes with the guy. Guards say, hey, here's the deal. We're going to unlock these doors. You're going to walk through this corridor. At the corridor is the courtyard where the riot is taking place. We're locking the doors behind you. Go for it. She walked through those doors in her own strength, but I can guarantee you from here to there, she was doing spiritual warfare, asking the Lord for supernatural strength. She's a tiny woman. She gets to the end, fighting all over people, bloodied, hacked, laying on the ground. There's a dude with a machete wailing on people. She says, you, come here. Give me that machete. Dude puts it in her hand. Now line up. They all line up, and from there, she says, what's going on? And there was starvation going on because relatives had to bring food to these, the prisoners. None of the relatives lived close. She ends up getting them to start a garden. She ends up getting looms. They begin to make their own clothing because they're freezing, and they get to sell it. And you don't think that the Mandarin said, wow, what just happened? Our prison guards couldn't even squelch this. It was a supernatural act of God. And at the end of her time, the Boxer Revolution happened. They were invaded. The Mandarin called everybody together and said, I mean, this is like 30 years after she'd been there. He said, hey, I just want to tell you, I'm a believer in her God now. And I would encourage you guys to do the same. She walked in under her own strength and ended up in the strength of the Lord. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Jonathan.
you know what, hold on to that, John, and we'll, we'll see, and then re-ask it, please. I mean, you have to give me a couple minutes to think through this. Okay. <laughs> so our mindset, as I see it, is that we're to be reminding of ourselves of the foundational enemy of God, which is sin. Satan is the father of sin. Sin is out to rebel against God. All ungodly conflict comes from sin and its father. Hear me. You guys be looking at me in the eyes, please. Donald Trump is not our enemy. Global warning, warming, capitalism, they are not our enemy. The sin, the spiritual wickedness that propagates the evil in those things, that's our main fight. Do we fight against the evils of capitalism? Yes. Do we fight against, again, I'm a Republican, you guys know that, but do we fight against the foolishness of Donald Trump? Yes. But if as believers in our anger and frustration, they are our focus, they being the fruits of sin and wickedness, we're going to end up polishing corrupt fruit. As opposed to dealing with, again, both components, fight injustice, but recognize people, we need to be on our knees praying for the Lord to provide, I don't know what even what to call it, angelic beings to nail this stuff, hearts and lives to change. Would not be cool to see Trump get saved? I mean, like, really saved? That policy would change, and that fruit would no longer be as corrupt in nature because it would be formed from godly men and women. 2 Corinthians 10 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our... The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. I memorized it in the King James. Sorry. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You know, Paul's got our attention. These are very vivid imaginations. And now that he has it, he gives us the answer. God's armor. Note whose armor we're putting on. It's not ours. It's not an earthly garment like Goliath's that did him no good against the power of God and a slingshot. Think of the confidence that comes with association to a particular group. And sorry, I always use sports analogies. Man, that just works for me. Now that Kevin Durant and Kyrie are with Brooklyn, to be associated with the Brooklyn Nets, if you're like an incoming rookie, man, you're walking taller. You got wearing a cooler jersey. All of a sudden, Brooklyn Nets jerseys are cool. Women's soccer, they just wailed and won the World Cup. Do you not think that the marketers are going to take that thing and run 
People who want to be associated with strength. It gives us confidence. Whose armor are we putting on? I mean, can our confidence be anything other than assured? The belt of truth, or what I call the clarity of the entirety of God's word. Saints, do you know God's word? Do you know God's word? Does it affect your mind, your soul, your actions? You know, we were just having a conversation. A group of four of us are going through cultural conversations. And one of the things that came up is, how do we take the scriptures and speak in a language that is edible by our community? And that's one thing we got to take into account. As we know his scripture and as the Holy Spirit broadens our understanding and we're able to talk about it in the contexts in which we live, whether it's the 48214 or whether it's in some law offices or me when I go to Livonia, how do I talk to the people that I associate with? I've got to know first and foremost God's word and I've got to know the clarity and the truth of it. If Scripture's not on your daily diet, your armor is going to be weakened. Now, it's God's armor, but you guys get the idea there. I think you guys know the story, many of you do, about in Acts 19, there's some Jewish exorcists going around exercising demons. And there was a group of seven of them, and they go up to some dude who's got an evil spirit in him, and they say, hey, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, come out of him. And what's the demon's response? Well, Jesus I know. Paul I know. I don't know you. One dude jumps on seven guys, leaves them beat down. Do you know God's word? Do you understand the clarity of its entirety? The breastplate of righteousness. Are you wearing... Jesus' blood-bought breastplate of righteousness that was purchased at Calvary? Or are you wearing your own garment sewn of good works? You guys know the scripture, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You put a drop of food coloring in a glass of water and it turns the water a color. If we add anything to Jesus's breastplate of righteousness we've really messed the whole thing up or do you like Paul count all his accomplishments your accomplishments mine our social standing our heritage our education as useless dross compared to knowing Jesus and being hidden in him shoes of readiness what's the point of wearing shoes do you wear shoes in your house? You come into mine, you better not. But you take them off when you get home. You wear them when you travel. And what Paul's saying is here, he's echoing what Peter says, I think it's in 3.15, Peter says, be prepared to give an answer to those who ask, what is this hope that is within you? That's paralleled here. You put on the shoes of readiness as you walk to work as you walk to your neighbors, 
as you go to church, wherever it is you walk, these places that you trot upon, are you ready to give an answer to those that will ask, what is this hope? What is this peace? Why are you a white guy living down here? Are you ready to answer that? Helmet of salvation. 2 Timothy 12b. This is Mike, what you saying. Paul says, I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Song you sang says, man, I have confidence. I have confidence as I've laid my life down. As I've given my all to him. I have confidence that he is able to between the time of my conversion to the time of my death or the time that Christ comes, I have confidence that he won't fail me. Saints, if you're working for the kingdom, man, you're going to take shots. And if we lack the confidence knowing that the Father has our back, our front, and he has prepared his kingdom for us. Eternity, if you are a believer, is settled. But man, the path there, we're going to have busted toes. We're going to miss some, be missing some teeth. And there's going to be battles that without the confidence of saying, Father, I've entrusted my life to you, I'm going to continue to trust my life to you. I think you could ask Betty, Betty and I can agree with that song as old as we are. He's never failed us. Of course, at the moment it looked like failure, but guess what? What does he do? He turns those things with the enemy meant for bad to his glory and to his honor. Protect your thoughts with consistent renewing of the promise of eternal salvation. Will you choose to answer all internal conversations with the hope of eternity. Scriptures say constantly the battle's in the mind. Will you answer those with the scriptures and the confidence of trusting in Christ? Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What did Jesus say when he was in the wilderness with, with Satan and Satan was tempting him? What did he answer back? Satan quoted scripture. Jesus quoted scripture and said, it is written. And also, what did he do? To me, this is the spirit or the belt of truth, the clarity of God's word. Satan quoted scripture. Jesus quoted the fullness of the scripture. You and I need to be prepared, be prepared to do that as we talk to friends, family, who have an air of spiritualism in them, but they misquote the scripture or they partially quote it or they don't quote the whole of it. That's what Jesus did. Shield of faith. How does faith quench, put out, subdue, pervert? I'm sorry. How does faith, how does faith quench, put out, subdue, prevent, or remove what I call future acts of destruction? You get a fiery dart. The dart hurts in and of itself, but it's also on fire. It can bring more pain. How do we change that? By replacing the torment of the uncertain future that's come with that dart with one of certainty. It trumps 
the circumstantial now with the secure tomorrow by replacing or by placing the authority of God's word over all else. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, 12 talks about we see in a glass or we see in a mirror dimly. As great as our theology is, as much of the scripture as we know, there is going to be uncertainty. There is going to be, man, I really can't see the fullness until the fullness of the kingdom comes. So recognize we are not going to be able to put everything in a nice little equation or a nice little box because of what Paul says here. Until eternity is revealed in its finality, there's going to be some cloudy vision. That's why we discuss things, try to, trying to hear God's voice clearly. And in 1 Corinthians 4, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen because the things that are seen are temporal. They're changeable. But the things that are unseen are eternal because those are created by the Father for you and I. Luke 18, 1 and 8. Now this is the parable I use like every time I preach, I think, but I'm not going to use the parable. I'm going to use what's sandwich. And he told them in the parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. You know, when the four of us met, Alvin, Leon, Nate, and I having this cultural conversation on Thursday, Leon was sharing his passion for a particular thing that he wants to do. And I said to him, I don't know that we've got the money and the time to do that. We might have to pick our battles. Now that was a very good thing for me to say. It was very pragmatic. But also in that, as I was going over my notes again, I thought part of that, to be very frank with you, is I don't have hope that what he wants to do can actually change. And I'm sinning in that, plain and simple. We ought always to pray and not lose heart. God can change every circumstance and situation. As people are born again, old things have passed away, Behold, all things have become new. You know, there's a whole bunch of names for darts I've got down there. And I said, you know, in all circumstances, why does Paul say in all circumstances? Because they affect us, they control us, they deflect us, divert us, stop us. They whisper partial truths. They sow seeds of emotion to cloud our thinking. If we allow these fiery darts to go unchecked by not answering the conversations in our mind or the circumstances before us, it can lead to a slippery slope of hopelessness and potentially a loss of faith. Now before I finish this, J.D., go ahead and ask your question again. Nice and loud. Everyday life, 
Wow, great question. Um, JD, I don't, I don't know if, if this is going to answer it, but I will tell you this. When the executive search committee first met for the, for the executive director for Mac development, one of the things we discussed is, do we, and JD, I hope this is cool to share, we discussed whether or not we were going to hire like a headhunter. And we came to the conclusion that God knows everybody. A headhunter is somebody who's going to look for a particular executive type. You know, they look at their skills and their talents, and then they match them to a particular job. I mean, we'd have to pay them a ton of money. And one of the things that we discussed there was, first of all, God knows the candidates that he desires for us to have. And so we committed this to him, and we prayed, and we asked the Lord very specifically to lead and guide us. And he did. And guess what? I mean, there were troubles along the way but we continue to persevere. Um, J.D., the one thing that I think about spiritual warfare, in my mind, it's very, very difficult because as much as I'd love to see those things happen like that, and I think sometimes they do, I also think sometimes we're unwilling to take the risk. She had to go through those doors and walk out into the middle of a dude with a machete. Not sure we're really willing to do that. And I also think also in the face of those things, when we find a conclusion, like Russ, Eric Russ used to tell us all the time, turn in a little yellow card, that prayer gets answered, you better glorify God and you better let the congregation know because that's a direct answer to prayer. And there was some spiritual warfare involved in the answering of that prayer. Does that help at all, J.D.? Betty? Thanks, Bets. 
JD, I also think, be honest with you, I think the commons is a great example of the partnering that I'm trying to get across here. People worked hard. We raised money. We swept and cleaned and hammered and nailed and painted. We worked hard. But man, if you think about the reality of what happened, Zeke jumped in the deep end with lead boots on. And he had to find a way to swim and get that thing done. That's a big deal in this community. In my mind, that thing is a miracle of God that had both the, the working of Mac Avers and the answering of prayer by God himself to bring that thing to pass. I mean, that, that stands as a pinnacle of faith as far as I'm concerned. So we're going to wrap it up. Um, when I say that we can't allow the fire, if we allow the fiery darts to remain unchecked, one of the things I mean is, again, there's so many scriptures. There is therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. As we hear these voices of, did God say, you're too weak, you've sinned too many times, you've got too much baggage, you're not even praying. Leon's asked you to do this, and you're not even doing that. As we hear those things, we've got to counter them with the belt of truth, the sword of the Spirit. And lastly, to me, this is, man, like ginormous. The shield of faith is not static like most of the other things. I've got the breastplate of righteousness, and it covers here. Helmet of salvation. The shield of faith can be moved wherever we need it. I just saw the beginning trailer, one of the parts of uh, Troy, and Brad Pitt has got his shield all over, and then one time he like actually throws it on his back, and a spear goes you know, into the sword of the back, and he pulls around his ankles and stuff. <laughs> that, that's the shield of faith. That's the shield of faith. It's not static. It's to be used. And again, I, I do want to, again, I, I I, I want to make sure we're clear on, on one of, part of J.D.'s question. I think using the shield of faith and the armor of God is a scary thing because we're talking spiritual warfare. Think about some of the things that we know that Satan has done. Genocide. I mean... Man, there's so much stuff. That is wickedness. That is, it blows my mind to think about that stuff. Stuff in our community. Alcoholism, drugs, single women. He is bent on separating our souls from our Savior. And that's not going to be fixed by our public policy. Again, fight for public policy. But as a church, we need to be praying and recognizing the spiritual warfare that's going on and asking God to intervene and come to our aid. So when I, I, one other thing when I say, the, this is the last, my, my last point, when I say the shield of faith is not static, the other thing I'm going to tell you is it can be used as a weapon. I have got the best wife in the world. She is ten times 
the person that I am. And if you knew her and you really knew me, you'd agree with me. And the last couple of years, she has suffered some grievous wounds. And some of those at the hands of believers. And as we are talking through those things, I'll get a call in the middle of the day. Or when I come home, I'm all, how you doing, babes? And in essence, she will say this. You know, I said to Satan, you might have broke my jaw with that sucker punch, but I'm going to come back after you. And that day, every person Betty came in contact with, she shared the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith. Nothing had changed. Even now, we're still waiting for answered prayer. Even now, her wounds are deep. And you guys have suffered similarly. I'm sure you have. How can we quench the fiery darts? By using the shield of faith. I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we come before you, we thank you for, man, the clarity of your word. We thank you for the completeness and the wholeness of your word. Lord, I would pray in Jesus' name that we would take to heart those things that you speak to us each and every day. We are in a warfare. Thank you that in you is our strength. In you is our armor. In you is victory. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But Lord, we know victory has been purchased at the foot of the cross by your precious Son. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to take offering. And if you guys are new with us, feel no obligation, please, to, to participate in this. Uh, if you feel blessed by the Lord and you want to, that'd be great. Um, and then we're going to take communion. What's going to happen is the elders are going to come up and they're going to service the elements. We kind of come up and get the elements here, take them back to your pew, and uh, we'll, we'll take it together. And one more prayer. Lord Jesus, we all, we uh, give to you our offerings. Lord God, give us wisdom how to use them wisely. Uh, would you bless them and would you bless the giver as well? In Jesus' name.